Well, this is the first of two lessons. We're calling this Christian Tattoos question mark. Lesson one, and I want to cover the history of tattoos just briefly, though you could do a whole semester of university study on that, and the Old Testament commands about tattoos. And we were inspired to write this a couple years ago because tattoos have just exploded. And I was just talking to someone. I think what really kicked this, this lesson off was uh, watching a pastor three or four years ago preach a sermon called Mark for God and have his church logo tattooed on his arm simultaneously. And uh, not only is that a gimmick, it's blasphemy that you would defy uh, people's conscience. Even if you believe in Christian tattoos, half your congregation want, you're going to defile their conscience just to be gimmicky and cool and trendy. I, th- I think that may be what really just incensed me. That and doing some more research and hearing some of the body of Christ, some of the leaders, pastors, try to defend tattoos rather than address them. And uh, unfortunately, when a pastor defends sin rather than address it lovingly and from the scriptures and tell folks who are in the sin, look, stop. We don't care what you've done, just stop doing it so it's not a lifestyle. You end up catering to carnality rather than serving Jesus Christ. And as ministers, we don't cater to the flesh. We serve Jesus. And those that want to serve Jesus will follow with us, and those that want to cater to the flesh will go to one of these churches that promotes this kind of stuff. That may be why some of them grow so quickly. So what we're going to do in this lesson is we're going to just really look at some stuff. I want to look specifically at Leviticus chapter 19, which is what we'll do in the last half of this message because, uh, and you'll, that'll be evident, because I, I am of a very, very firm conviction tattoos have never been nor will ever be Christian. Now, American culture might change and it may become more and more acceptable. In fact, we know that it is. In fact, you know, uh, honestly anymore, a youth pastor just ain't a youth pastor unless he's got a couple tattoos and some uh, jiggly earlobes from where he gauged something out. That's also a good worship leader by today's standard. Uh, that doesn't mean God's standard has changed. The, the American culture may accept it more and more, but the problem is what we're really doing is we're, we're steering our ship back into the paganism that the pagans are trying to come out of, and we may end up just crossing each other as our culture goes into darkness and their culture comes into light. So let's hop in there, and some of this, what I'm saying, will become more apparent as we teach this. Let's look at our lesson here. Tattooing and body-modifying arts have become epidemically popular in the last 20 years, even working their way into the church. Now, I am 39 years old, and I remember being 16 and 17 living in Seattle in 1992, 1993, and wanting to get a tattoo or two. Well, really, just, I just wanted one. I'll take it back. I just wanted one tattoo. It was a tribal band, and that was because this 20-something-year-old I kind of ran with was a hippie. His name was Bo. He had a, a Volkswagen hippie bus. And he was a big snowboarder. He was a big rock climber. And I really, I just, that was what I wanted to be. Everybody's got this thing they want to be. And it's always fed by the people you look up to. And you can't really explain why you look up to this person and not that person. Why was it Bo and not Jefferson over here? But that's just what it was. And Bo had a tribal band. Uh, and that was 1992, 93 in Seattle, West Coast, Pacific Northwest. And then I came to college and I had broken my leg and I have this massively long scar on my leg. I still wanted a tribal band. In fact, all my notes from geology still have the doodles I was doodling trying to come up with the design. Because see, even tattoos go in and out of style. Nobody gets a tribal band anymore. Thank God I didn't. But I also wanted to get a zipper tattooed on this long scar on my leg because I thought that'd be funny. You know me, I'm always going for the gag. 
that would still be there today if I had done that. But something happened at the age of 18, uh, right about March of 1995. I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ. Now, I was avant-garde. I was wanting to get tattoos before anybody else did because I'd come from Seattle. But rededicating my life to Jesus Christ, that desire went away. Imagine that. No longer even thought about it. In fact, I thought, I just dodged a bullet. Thank God I I rededicated because I was really determined to get the tribal band on my left arm and I was going to get the tattoo, the little zipper head on my scar on my right leg. And I'm so glad I didn't. But just rededicating dried that thing up 20-something years ago. Uh, It's become so epidemically popular. It it is really showing signs of like a true epidemic because in those days you just got one tattoo or maybe a second one. Nowadays, nobody just has one tattoo. And in 20 short years, you've gone from the girls having what they called a tramp stamp, because that was really popular, or a little something cute on the back of their neck, or something in their little bikini line. Now it's not uncommon to go to Walmart and see a mother of four sleeved out and tattoos up her neck. I was talking with a girl at Target a couple weeks ago, and she was just covered in tattoos. I mean, just random, just Hello Kitty right here, and you know, Kiddo Kiddo Kiddopi, this is all Japanese stuff. And then she had a koi fish. I said, you must really like Japanese stuff. She said, how could you tell? I know Japanese culture, and it's all over you. And it was just random. And I said, when you going to, and I was just cutting up with her. I wasn't judging her or condemning her. I was really just cutting up with her. I said, when are you going to stop? She said, when it's all covered. She said, everything but my face. I won't stop till I'm covered. What happened to our culture? Amen. What was once only found among sailors, prisoners, and harlots is now common in the pulpit and on the worship team. Funny joke about that. That's an old maxim. It goes something like this. Tattoos are only for prisoners, sailors, and harlots. To which the reply is, I didn't know your sister was in the Navy. When I was growing up, it was bikers and hippies. So this is like from the 60s and 70s. Uh, now it's everybody. It's pastors. I know pastors. In fact, uh, the group that we run with, uh, the ministry association, somebody very high up said probably 60, 70% of the churches that we go to now, leadership has tattoos in our company of believers. Not old tattoos from before Christ, new tattoos. And I always add this, and I, I contribute this, that if you have tattoos, no condemnation. I don't, I don't care about your tattoos. They don't affect me. But just don't get any more. And I'm always, I always get hammered when I preach against this, and they call me a hater. I, I point out, my wife had a tattoo. She got a tattoo when she was 17. She had to sneak across state lines, lie to her mother, and pay $75. She had a little palm tree tattooed on her ankle. $75, 15 minutes. Well, when we became pastors... Uh, some of the little girls in the church who were taught the Holy Scriptures, it really bothered them that Miss Manda had a tattoo on her ankle. So she started wearing a Band-Aid over it. We went to Africa on a couple mission trips. She covered it because, you know, it's just not acceptable, and it causes people to stumble. So $1,000, and two years later, we had it laser removed. $1,000, and that was some of that got paid for because the company gave her third-degree burns with the laser. and We have pictures of where the laser burned her and her legs swole up with massive blisters. $75, 15 minutes, or two years, and over a grand to remove a palm tree the size of your thumb with two colors, brown and green. 
<laughs> sin is expensive. Amen. So I say no condemnation. If it was any bigger, I don't know how we would have afforded to take it off. But we would have taken it off. I have a dear pastor friend who was in the military. He spent a lot of time having his military tattoos removed for the gospel. Now, that doesn't say you have to, but some people's conscience wants it. Amen. I'm all for the higher standard. We have folks in the church tattooed. It doesn't bother me a bit. We got folks in leadership with old tattoos. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But we're trying to keep the standard high while society erodes into the ocean. Uh, any fad or technique the church borrows from the world must be viewed with the leery eye of caution and investigated with every tool at hand. And so with that kind of rule of thumb in, in, in place, let's look at uh, a brief synopsis of body art. I spent probably six or eight weeks researching this a couple years ago. And I can tell you, in researching the origins of tattoos and piercings and um, scarification, I, I would literally have to leave my office because it would... Just Google searching it and article searching it, it would make me feel filthy. And uh, I also found this in my studies. Stuff that looked like National Geographic didn't grieve the Spirit of God. You know, you know you're looking at African tribes and Nepalese tribes and you're looking at uh, uh, Mongolian tribes and that stuff. It didn't grieve the Spirit of God on the inside of me. But in searching when I'd hit like the tattoo parlors or the Western implication of this or uh, adherence to this, that would grieve the Spirit of God and my office would feel disgusting. And i just shut my laptop and just have to go walk off and pray. Because what the pagans do in darkness, they do in darkness and aren't any of the wiser. And what the West has embraced, it embraced by leaving God Almighty. It chose to leave the light to walk in the darkness. And it grieves God more. It's not just the Lord winking at the ignorance of the African or the ignorance of the Tibetan. It's, this is the Western culture that is prosperous because of hundreds of years of Christianity and our generation and our progeny just saying, no, I choose to be like the pagans. So let's look at this. So here's some of the research I did just to briefly summarize it because I really want to get into Leviticus 19. Nearly every pagan culture involves some form of self-mutilating body art. Nearly every pagan culture. The Native American cultures, the Inuit cultures, the Aztec cultures, the Egyptian cultures, nearly everyone that I researched and looked at. In fact, I can't think of one that I found that did not involve some form of tattooing or scarification, or gauging, or plating, or, or the, the bands around the necklace. Uh, even the Native Americans would put boards on their babies' foreheads to flatten their foreheads while they were still infants because they found that attractive when their heads were shaped like an alien. Most pagan religions involve cutting and piercing in their worship. From the Mur Muslim dervishes of Turkey, you ever heard of the whirling dervishes? Muslim Turkish dervishes, uh, they, they spin. You've seen the, the, you know, they, they hear that dance. They can do that for hours. It involves demon worship to be able to spin like that. And they'll also, these are the ones that'll take daggers and cross them across their tongue and won't cut. They'll pierce their lips and their cheeks with daggers and, and spikes. And I've seen it on that geo. And you see it go through. It's no parlor trick. And then pull it out and there's no hole there. Crazy. They'll drive nails into the top of their head and pull them out and, and no damage. <laughs> From the Muslim dervishes of Turkey to the Shaolin monks of Tibet to the Hindus of India. For some cultures, the process of tattooing is a borderline worship experience. This is uh, very common in the Tibetan monks. Part of their worship to Buddha involves tattooing. And, and it produces a euphoric 
experience. In America, tattooing and some of this, this pain inflicted is, is sexually stimulating. And it's, it's associated with sexual perversion. In the Bible, the prophets of Baal, who was a demon, uh, they cut themselves in their worship of this dead God. That's how they got the demon to manifest, usually. just didn't work because Jehovah was present that day. In fact, uh, I like what uh, Elijah said. Hey, uh, cry louder, he's probably sleeping. Or maybe he's using the bathroom. That's what Elijah said in 1 Kings 18 and 19. <laughs> Jesus cast the devil out of a man who uh, was driven of devils to cut himself with rocks. I was once a cutter. I was 12 years old and suicidal. It's a demon when a 12-year-old thinks they're fat and, and are not worth anything because they're a chubby 12-year-old. And I was suicidal. And I also, as a kid, had a knife collection. And I was a cutter. And I, in that season of cutting in the seventh grade, uh, I also attempted suicide twice. And uh, the, most, the closest successful event I came to was overdosing on my mom's pain medication. She had migraines, and I took a lot of them. And so 12 years old, but see, I was a cutter at the same time. It's all demonic. And uh, I took those pills, and then as soon as I took them, we had bunk beds, on, uh, and I remember my brother being asleep on top, and I laid in bed and cried and cried and cried because I didn't want to die. And yet five minutes prior, I was driven downstairs to the medicine cabinet to find mom's pain medicine. Because how does a 12-year-old know that overdosing on pain medication can kill you? And I did. I tried. And I cried and I was sobbing because I look back now and realize the demon left me. He had accomplished his assignment and now I'm left with my wits. And my wits are, I don't want to die. This is stupid. So my mom came in there and she said, what's wrong, honey? And I said, I don't want to die. And she said, you're not going to die. I said, yes, I am. She said, why? And I told her, I took a bunch of your pain medicine. I I wanted to die, but now I don't. And so she said, how many did you take? And I told her four or eight. I don't remember. She, and she laughed. I remember laughing. She said, that's how many I take on a daily basis for one headache. She said, it's not going to kill you. But then the question is, why do you want to die? And only through prayer and, and through a lot of intercession, you never seen Baptists get so serious about prayer when their 12-year-old is suicidal. I never went to counseling. It just left me. And I got to believe somebody was interceding for me. My parents probably didn't know how to. That would have been 1987. They probably didn't know what they know today. And so all this stuff, it all ties together. With that suicide was depression, was cutting. I still have scars on my arm here. Thank God I didn't have any of the knives I have now because I'd have done a lot more damage. Jesus cast the devil out of a man who was driven of devils to cut himself with stones. The body art we see creeping into America has its roots among pagan cultures and in demon worship. Piercing, tattooing, branding, scarification, gauging, and plating, these techniques were not taught to us by a loving God, but they were developed and propagated by individuals that worshipped devils. That's the origin of this in a nutshell. You just have to keep that in mind. I, now, let me take a racial turn. I shake my head at the black fraternities that require branding as part of their passage, as part of, and they, you see the football players with the Omega or the Psy branded, and, and it produces a big keloid scar. And, you know, African Americans hate the slavery past of America, and yet here they are being branded like cattle, slaves to a fraternity. I just see the irony in it. That's not the will of God. And yet, you know, not, not to pick on blacks, but whites are just as ignorant in their own unique ways. Forbidden by the Bible, it should be noted 
There is only one verse in the entire Bible speaking directly to the act of tattooing, and that is Leviticus 19.28, and that's what we're going to cover this morning. However, there are many verses forbidding cutting. For some, Leviticus 19.28 is enough motivation to never mark their bodies. You know, it's in the Bible, and the Bible says don't do it, not going to do it. Don't want to do it. For others, this verse stands in their way and must be excused. And that's what irritates me when we start looking to try to diffuse Bible verses that are very cut and dry. Even when they're in context. You can pull anything out of context and diffuse it. But even when it's in context, you still want to try to diffuse the whole thing. For this reason, this passage and other Old Testament passages are discounted and even totally disregarded. We must address these issues. And so this comes, becomes part of the... Uh, the modern heresy called antinomianism. Now, that's an ancient heresy. Antinomianism just means anti-law. Nomos is the law. Anti, antinomian means against the law. Lawlessness. Or in, in biblical terms, it means we're, we're done with the law of Moses. It, you need to realize the law of Moses was given to teach the Israelites how to love God and how to love each other. The Ten Commandments are commandments of love. We would say, love God. I love God. Have no other gods before me. If you love God, that's not a problem. Honor the Sabbath, keep it sacred. If I love God, that's not a problem. Don't commit adultery. Well, that's teaching you how to love. Love doesn't commit adultery on its wife or against its neighbor's spouse. So we, we have come into a new heresy that is the spirit of lawlessness that discounts all the laws of the Bible. And of course, uh, we know the Old Testament has 613 commandments called the Mishnah. The New Testament has over 1,000 commandments and many of the Old Testament, I, did, I, did a, I ran through all 613 of the Mishnah. I want to say it was a third of the Old Testament Mishnah shows up in the New Testament. Everything else that doesn't carry over, the 400 or so, they're all ceremonial laws. How to deal with a menstruation. What's the offering for a menstruation? What's the offering uh, for this? How the Levites are to purify that. That's called ceremonial law. The other thing's called the moral law. We're not delivered from the moral law. So anyway, this is a lot of teaching that we don't have time to go into. What I want to cover this morning is Leviticus chapter 19 because I've seen so many pastors discount that one verse and say, see, it's under the law. We're not. Therefore, we don't have to obey it, which is such a fouled argument because thou shalt not murder is under the law. Thou shalt not worship demons is under the law. Praising God is under the law. Are we delivered from any of that? No, we're still bound to that. Amen. And you guys know that because we teach you that all the time. So how does the Old Testament apply to us today? Not everything in the Old Testament is the law. I hate it when folks say, well, that's under the Old Testament. That's all law. No, you got basically one whole book of law in halves of two other books. You got the last half of Exodus is the law. All of Leviticus is the law and part of Deuteronomy is the law. That's it. Everything else in the Old Testament is either history, poetry, or prophecy. It's not all law. I mean, the book of Ruth is not the law. The book of Ruth is a history book. The book of Judges is a history book. The Old Testament contains books of history, poetry, and prophecy. Technically, the law is contained in part of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and part of Deuteronomy. The Old Testament was recorded as an example to warn us. So God still feels the same about sin today as he did back then. We are under the dispensation of grace, which just means he doesn't have to kill us as easily when we violate how he feels about sin. Thank God for grace, but we don't sin that grace may abound. Now, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11 says, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things. Now, these things is quoting Exodus in the book of Numbers. Part of the law 
and part of the Torah. These things were written. So he's directly referencing the Old Testament, the thick of the legalistic part of the Old Testament. They were written for example. So even if you don't want to believe any of those laws apply to us, the examples do. To the end that we should not lust. Thou shalt not lust. Wait, that's a law though. An example to show you how God hates lust. Now all these things happen unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition. The word admonition means a warning upon whom the ends of the world are come. That's why we still look to the Old Testament among many, many, many other reasons. The law does not make you righteous. Now let's clarify that. But it can teach you what holiness looks like. The law does not make you righteous. Only faith in Jesus Christ makes you righteous. But the law and the prophets point to Jesus. Obeying the law will not make you righteous, but it will make you holy. Amen. Amen. Do you know there's laws in the Old Testament for how to, that basically establish modern day business ethics? There are laws under the Leviticus in Deuteronomy that teach us today how to run our business successfully without being arrested for embezzlement. Are we delivered from that? The U.S. Supreme Court doesn't seem to think so. <laughs> we are redeemed from the curse of the law, not the law. We're redeemed from the curse. We're not redeemed from thou shalt not murder. We're not redeemed from thou shalt not bear false witness. The law was fulfilled, not abolished. The law will not pass away until all has been fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the sacrifices and the rituals. That would be the ceremonial. We must live a life fulfilling the moral laws. For example, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie with a beast. Have we been delivered from that law? Any church in here just in, in, in embracing bestiality because we're free from that law? No, ooh. Sleeping with your sister? Sleeping with your daughter? Sleeping with your dad? Ooh. Yeah, we're not, we're not free from those laws. <laughs> they still keep us safe. The New Testament directly quotes the Old Testament 695 times, and it directly references the Old Testament over 4,100 times. We're not free from the law. I'm just building a case here for those that would use Leviticus 19.28 and say, uh, we're not under that, so therefore I can tattoo John 3.16 on my lower back. I actually saw a picture. I was doing research for artwork for this pod school, and and. I saw a picture of a girl who had literally tattooed all of 1 Corinthians 13 in what is commonly called the tramp stamp. That's a long chapter. The whole thing. Not bullet pointed. But I mean, it was like a pyramid shape. Love is, you couldn't read the rest of it. I didn't want to read it because I didn't want to look at that anyway. But I thought, wow, she put the whole thing there. This is on the internet. And somebody made the comment, just because it's a scripture doesn't make you look any less trampy. Amen. With so many New Testament verses tying us to the Old Testament, it's hard to view the Old Testament as obsolete in our lives. So let's jump into Leviticus 19 here. Does Leviticus 19 have anything to offer us today? Let me stop and say this. I don't know if I say it in my curriculum. This is by far, I'll say perhaps, the most legalistic chapter in the whole Bible. This is a chapter of nothing but do's and don'ts. In the heart of the law, Leviticus is all the law. Start to finish, it's nothing but commands. If you were to read it in the King James, half of it would make your head spin because you don't even know what they're talking about. So here we have the most legalistic, I call it the most legalistic chapter in the whole Bible. Nothing but do's and don'ts. No stories, no exhortations, just do this, don't do that, do this. 
And yet we're going to see what this chapter really has to say to us. The whole subject of Leviticus chapter 19 is summed up in verse 2. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. How do we know what holiness is? But the Lord says, do this, it's holiness. Don't do that, it's unholy. Any command can become legalistic, but that's how you paint pictures is with words and commands. Your company builds the, church, the, the company culture by telling you this is what we do in this situation. We never do this in this situation. God has the same right. This is the summary statement for the next 35 verses. Be holy. Be holy. Leviticus 19 teaches the reader how to be holy. These verses were written to help Israel be different from the surrounding nations and to be a people separated unto God. And I would argue that the, all of these verses still apply to us today. And we're going to prove it now as we run through these verses very quickly. So the following is a summary of those 35 verses. I just kind of summarize them out of the King James, but also looking at New Living Translation and some of the commentaries. But it's very simple. You can study later in the King James if you want or whatever Bible you study. Verse 3. So we, verse 2 says, be holy. So now he's going to say for 33 verses how to be holy. Verse 3, honor your mom and dad and go to church. I can get with that. I don't think that's legalistic. Verse 4, flee idols and don't make another golden calf. All right, I can get with that. Verse 5, give offerings willingly and with a proper heart. Well, that does, that's not so legalistic, I mean. All right. I thought we were free from these, though. I thought we were redeemed from these. Verse 6 through 8, God's offerings are holy. Don't treat them flippantly. Verses 9 and 10, don't be greedy in your business. Support the poor and the stranger. Verse 11, don't steal, lie, or cheat. These are just summaries, but this is basically what these verses say. All of this, even the most liberal, feminist, judicial advocate would say those are all good things. Even the Christian hipster who smokes pot in between his worship sets would agree with these things. Verse 12, if you're a believer, keep your word and don't use your faith as a cop-out. Verse 13, don't defraud or rob anybody and play, pay your employees on time. I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling legalistic yet. I'm not feeling like you're wanting me to wear a special robe and sacrifice a cow. I'm not feeling like you're trying to make a Pharisee out of it. I'm feeling like some of these are just common sense rules that we teach our kids in kindergarten at the liberal school. <laughs> Verse 14, don't abuse the handicapped. This verse says, don't talk about the deaf because they can't hear and don't trip the blind because they can't see. So I just summarize it, don't abuse the handicapped. Anybody disagree with that one? No. Well, there's a whole movement in America that wants to just blow up cars that park in handicap parking when they don't have a handicap tag. This is a whole movement that just... It's like their cause to get those people who steal handicapped parking places when they don't have a handicap tag. A lot of folks have handicap tags, but they're not handicapped. They just stole their mothers or something because they're too lazy to walk. Verse 15, be righteous in your courts of law and don't have respects of persons when you execute judgment. I think we all want that in our courts of law. Verse 16, don't be a gossip or slanderer. Help when your neighbor's life is in danger. This, this verse says, don't gossip and slander about your neighbor. You should be quick to help them when they need help. And specifically, it says when their life is on, at, at a very dangerous place. 
I don't feel legalistic yet, yet this is the most legalistic chapter in the whole Bible with more commands than seemingly anything else. Verse 17, confront people directly if they have sinned against you so you won't develop hate in your heart for your brother. If, if my heart, this, says, this verse in Leviticus 19 says, if, if Steve-O has sinned against me, or I think he has, just go to him directly. Say, hey, dude, what did you mean by that? We don't even do that one. We go off and just say, well, he must not like me. They, I'm not, they just must hate me. I don't like this place. I don't like them anymore. The Bible forbids that. That's just good diplomacy. Verse 18, don't hold grudges or avenge transgressions. How about this next part? This is directly quoted, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody ever heard that verse before? That's in the middle of Leviticus chapter 19. In the same verse, 1918, Jesus quoted Matthew 25, I think. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't hold grudges or avenge transgressions. Rather, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's where we get a little tricky. And actually, Deuteronomy 19 is cut in half between how you treat people and then how you're to be holy before God. Don't interbreed cattle. See, that's legalistic. I mean, if you're going to say homosexuality is wrong, you shouldn't interbreed cattle either. How about you bother to study and research the context of why the Lord would say don't interbreed cattle? Because up until now, everything's flawless doctrine. So... What's the deal behind that? They would have had to do business with the Canaanites to acquire an outside breed. He didn't want them intermingling with anybody he's, they're about to wipe out. Because when you become friends with somebody, it's hard to obey God. Especially when they're already damned. God already said, you're going into the land, you're going to wipe them all out. If you start interbreeding cattle, well, you've got your breed you brought out of Egypt. Where do you get new cattle to interbreed with? The folks you're supposed to kill. The folks you're not supposed to have any fellowship with. So it was a safety precaution. Verse 19b, don't sow mixed seed in your field. All right, see, that's ridiculous. You know, what's, what's wrong with watermelon beside cantaloupe? Well, you do some more research in history and antiquity, you'll find this was the idolatrous practice of the Zabians, who were the fire worshipers who lived there. This, they did so with magical rites and incantations. The whole passage so far has been, be separate, be holy, be different. He doesn't want them to be anything like the neighbors they're going to in to dispossess. The Lord says the same thing today. I've said many times, if a shaved head was offensive in any culture I was going to, I would grow my hair out. If I was going into neo-Nazi territory to preach the gospel, I would grow my hair out because I don't want to have anything in common with them. Is there anything wrong with a shaved head? No. Paul said, you know, if a woman's head is shaved and it's uncovered, uh, this is an offense. She should cover it. But then he goes on to say, we have no such custom. And first Corinthians, neither do the churches of God. If you've got a problem with it, no problem, no big deal. We don't, we don't. This is something we're addressing for your region. God doesn't care if you put a dandelion seed next to a sunflower seed, next to a zucchini seed, next to a watermelon seed. But this was something the Zabians were doing when they went into the land. So we, we read this stuff so flippantly so we can hurry up and get our tattoo without bothering to study the context or maybe, maybe even asking, Lord, are you schizophrenic? Why would you request such a dumb thing? He always has a bigger motive than what we just see on the surface. 19C is my favorite out of all these things because I've heard this one argue. Don't wear a garment of cotton and wool interwoven. See that? If you're going to outlaw homosexuality and say that, you know, say that you can't have tattoos, but then you shouldn't wear cotton trousers 
with a wool sweater because that, that violates the Bible and you're a sinner too. Well, number one, this has to do with holiness and God was setting an example. Wool is worn by sheep, right? It's where it comes from and they lay down in manure all day long. And it represents being touched by the world and the earth every day. This is what the Levitical law teaches as well. And they have to shave the wool, and then they have to wash the wool, and then they have to bleach the wool, and then they have to make a garment out of it. Cotton, on the other hand, grows above the earth. And when it busts open, it's snow white, and it never touches the filth of the world. And this is an, this is an allegory for them. Don't try to mix filthiness with purity in your life, which is the whole context of this passage being separate that makes common sense especially when you understand the allegory that he was teaching them the difference between wool and cotton that one's easy but i heard one famous preacher say see you know the vicar says this so we don't do that so we can tattoo how did you come to that conclusion so quickly unless you weren't a student of god's word all right 22 20 through 22 the summaries of that is fornication is sinful and carnal and punishable don't take advantage of women. It's a context of sleeping with a slave girl that you took in war and uh, you, you used her as a concubine. The Lord had not addressed concubines or polygamy yet, so he's dealing with them where they're at. He always does that. But the whole heart of that passage is do not take advantage of women. If you do, it's going to come out of you because the Lord's serious about it. 23 through 25, the fruit of the new land must be cleansed, then tithed upon, then enjoyed. I think we can agree with that. Cleanse things, pray for it, tithe on it, then enjoy it. Don't try to enjoy it without it being clean. Don't try to enjoy something without first giving God what is his. 26a, don't eat anything over the blood. And so they say, well, see that? If, if you live on the law, you couldn't have a good juicy steak because it's still got the blood in it. Well, the Hebrew says over the blood, which is a reference to spiritism. Again, demon worship that's in Canaan land because he's preparing them how to live before, as they're preparing to go into the Canaan land or the promised land. This is, again, is to clean up spiritism. He doesn't want any demonology working in their life. Verse 26b, don't go to the psychics or astrology for guidance. So this is the same verse. So would it make sense to say don't eat steak and don't go to the psychics? That doesn't make sense. Why would he put the two in the same verse or the same passage? But it makes more sense if he's dealing with psychic mysticism it further uh, supports the argument that this deals with a sacrifice, a, a demon thing. Don't go to the psychics. Don't, go to, don't look to astrology for practice. You wouldn't believe how many Christians check astro charts. See what, uh, you know, what's my, what's my zodiac for today? Those things are so random. You're going to meet someone today. And that's different from every other day. You're going to meet an interesting situation today. That happened already. Yeah, because it's easier than seeking God. Verse 27, this is one that also gets criticized. Don't cut the sides of your hair, which is why you see the Orthodox Jews with the big, long, curly cues. Everybody seen those pictures? They have the beard and they have the wailing wall. They're called ultra-Orthodox, and they have those long... That's in re response to this verse because the Bible says don't cut that. But that is a demon practice in the land at the time, the hairstyle for a demon priest in Canaan land. He said, I don't want you to look anything like them. The New Testament sums this up. Come out from among them. Touch not the unclean. Be holy, for I am holy, and I'll receive you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, and I'll be your father. That's all this is saying. It's different everywhere you go. Amen.
God doesn't care if you have long sideburns. You might look stupid, but if you want to look foolish, do so. Verse 29 is my favorite. I quote it all the time. We purposely skip verse 28. Don't prostitute your daughter. Really? That sounds so legalistic. That sounds so strict. Are we not? Are we free? I thought we were free from the law. I thought I was free to prostitute Lydia and Abigail. No, absurd. Absurd. Don't prostitute your daughter. In fact, he even had to say that. If they had to say it, it must have been a common practice that he was warning them not to get involved in. Honestly, today, all over the Middle East and into Asia, they prostitute their daughters. They sell them into the sex trade for nothing. Life is, life is so cheap overseas, you have no idea. You, you don't get it. You know, here life is precious. We have our families, we raise them. Overseas in the pagan worlds, life is cheap. They get pregnant, they squirt a kid out. I don't mean that disrespectful, but that's how they view it. And they've got 17 kids. What's, what's if I sell four to slavery? I need the money. India does it, China does it, the Middle Eastern countries do it. Life is cheap. People die and they don't even weep over them. We're very blessed because we're the Christian nation for the time being. Verse 30, keep my day holy and honor my sanctuary. Again, I haven't found anything that really just made me feel like I was legalized. And yet this passage tries to be discounted. Verse 31, don't respect those that are demonized and don't seek after wizards. Seriously, Lord? I can't respect demonized people and I shouldn't go seek for a wizard? You are so mean, Lord. You are so legalistic. Preacher, you are legalistic. First you tell me I can't pimp my daughter and now you're telling me I can't run with wizards and sorcerers and dungeons and dragons. (laughs) Verse 32, respect the elder or the elders in the church and the nursing home. Respect the elders. Verse 33, don't oppress immigrants. I would mind you add legal immigrants. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Don't oppress legal immigrants. You know, someone who's just different from you. They came here legally. That, they, that happened. For them to be an immigrant or a stranger in Israel, they had to adopt Jehovah. They had to obey the law. Otherwise, they could be cut off. Verse 34, love the immigrant and give him a chance. Like Ruth, Ruth was an immigrant. She was a Moabitess, and she said, I'm going back to Jerusalem with Israel with you, and your God will be my God. She was able to be a legal immigrant because she submitted to the law of Jehovah for his nation. Amen. You know, we, this, you know this, some of this fights a little bit of racism. Someone's a different color, has a different accent. America, generally speaking, is very gracious towards strangers and foreigners. It's just part of our American culture with the whole immigration catastrophe imploding right now we do have to make the distinction there are lawful immigrants and i man come here legally absolutely we're the only nation that doesn't require legal immigration though actually honestly it seems and i've got friends that are immigrants that are on green cards and work visas whatnot it's harder to do it legally and they almost won't do it for you legally they'd rather you come illegally because our nation is a nation of lawless reprobates So, love the immigrant and give them a chance. They're here legally, hire them. They're here for a reason. Verse 35, 36, be honest in all of your endeavors. So far, I've not read anything that caused me to shriek and say, I just can't get with it. That's too legalistic. That's cramping my style. Therefore, verse 28, do not cut or tattoo yourself. I am the Lord. How is that so hard? 
How is that so vague? Don't pro- Actually, this is the verse that comes right before, don't prostitute your daughter. This is the verse that follows after, don't cut the sides of your hair, don't involve yourself in spiritism or demon worship. It's like the Lord knew that cutting and tattooing was demon inspired. It's like the Lord actually knew that. Because it is right there in the midst of don't eat anything over the blood, a reference to spiritism. Don't go to the psychics for, or astrology for guidance. Don't cut your hair like a demon priest. Don't cut or tattoo yourself. Don't prostitute your daughter. Keep my day holy. It's all of its reference to worship before Jehovah. It's almost like the Lord knew demons were inspiring people to cut and tattoo their bodies. Some commentaries say it's a reference to how they worship, or excuse me, how they mourn for the dead. Even in the Middle East now, when people die, you'll see the women tear at their face. It's an act of wailing. Yeah, I, I cry for people. I don't cut my face. I miss you. Sorry you're gone, but I want to keep this thing looking good. Not dig my nails into it as a sign that I'm sorry. If you see me crying, you know I'm sorry and sad. Amen. I, and I, I, I'm just reminded of the story as we get ready to close here on this lesson. I've always preached against tattoos. It's upset some friends and uh, upset Christians. We've even had people leave this church. I've even been slammed on social media for preaching against tattoos. Somebody who was visiting our church for a couple Sundays brought their brother, and I apparently preached briefly a touch on it. And, and I always say something, no condemnation. Just don't go get any more. And the, the guest who had come, they were both guests, but this, one, this guy had only come once. He had just apparently come from the tattoo parlor the day or two before. And I know this because she slams me on social media. And, and, I, and I said the thing, no condemnation. But we got to teach you how to keep clean from here on out. I think that's very appropriate. Hey, smoking's killing you. No condemnation. Quit. There's no difference between that. And this guy got so offended. And the woman said, my brother's never going to go to church again now. Thanks a lot, preacher at EWC. And, and you know, so she slams me and runs me down. Well, what that says is brother doesn't want to get right with God. Brother was under heavy conviction. Brother doesn't want to serve God. Brother wants to do his own things. Because if you really want God, and I say God wants you to stand on your head and juggle kitty cats, you'll figure out how to do it if you want God. But if you don't want God, then you think you can serve him on your ways. And the second his ways become higher than your ways, you don't want that God anymore. So... I'm reminded of when I was, we were getting ready to go to Uganda a couple years ago, and I was at Academy Sports at Mount Juliet, and I was picking up, I think, a um, first aid kit for Africa, and I was just said, let me go look at the shoes, because I always like looking at running shoes, because I always need a new pair. So I go by there, and they got this monitor advertising a Via or a Saucony, or one of the sh- shoes, Brooks or something, and so it's just one of these frenetic high-energy videos and people working out and people in yoga pants and people doing pull-ups and push-ups and CrossFit. And at one moment, this dude went, this black guy, muscular black guy, went like this. And I was instantly drawn to the spiderweb tattoo on his elbow. And I was just watching the video because I'm just watching movie-making techniques. And I see that, that spiderweb tattoo and all of a sudden it just washes over me. That is such a cool tattoo. I need to get one. I would look so good with that tattoo. I'm at Academy Sports for a mission trip. And I went, whoa. And you kind of start looking around to see, what? Who just said that to me? And I start taking a step back going, I have such a strong desire right now to get a tattoo. I, I so want a tattoo so bad right now. This is spooky. And I start backing up and I start realizing, this is a demon. There's a spirit involved with this. I've never heard his voice before, maybe in high school and college. But the fact that I'm a holy preacher, 
I'm about to go to Africa to cast demons out of demon-possessed people, and all of a sudden, for the first time in 20 years, I can't wait to get a tattoo. And I realize how, why folks get them. They give in to that spirit. They give in to the spirit of the lamb. And I, I literally, I walk backwards looking at that monitor on the way to camping equipment going, huh? <laughs> you just played your hand. I know all about you now. And I'm going to tell folks how you work. And so it, it literally, it wasn't but like a month later, the guy that comes and does our bug spray, he's a friend of ours. He's an Iraq vet. Went through a lot of PTSD and He's a good friend, good Christian brother now. He comes over at the house, and every time he comes over, it's like an hour stay because we talk about everything, and he's a soul winner through and through. He actually came and visited our church a few times four or five years ago. He had the same tattoo on his elbow, and I said, Tim, what's that tattoo mean? Because I didn't know, but I thought, what are the odds? He said, that, that's a tattoo you, you get in prison, and uh, it represents that you've killed people. And he said, every concentric ring represents how many people you've killed. And I looked at his, and his had, I think, either three or four rings, three or four that webs. And I said, really? I said, where'd you get it? He said, I got that in Iraq. He said, I counted that as my prison while I was there. So I'm going, so you killed like four people. And I just thought, isn't that fascinating? This, the tattoo this demon washes me over with, is, it represents murder in the eyes of some. Now, I, I did witness to him, I didn't witness to him. A guy I was working with on a consulting job, he was a driller, he had the same tattoo, and I was cutting up with him. He looked like that picture for the Mariners. What's the guy? I sent you that picture, Gertie. Uh, he had the long mullet. Randy Johnson. This, this guy, this driller looked just like Randy Johnson, who was a famous pitcher. Six foot ten is how tall this pitcher is. So I said, man, anybody ever tell you you look like Randy Johnson? He said, all the time. I just don't make that kind of money. So he had that tattoo. I said, man, what's that tattoo mean? He said, some folks say it means murder. He said, where I'm from, it means how many black people you've killed. Take a step back. He said, it doesn't mean that to me. It's just a cool looking tattoo. Take a step forward. <laughs> but everywhere it seems to mean the same thing. But this spirit came over me and I can't explain it. I all of a sudden wanted that thing with a desire like I have wanted anything else. Want a new truck, want to take a mission trip. It was such an overwhelming, but it was not my desire. It was a spiritual push. And it was so real to me. I was trying to judge, do I need to repent of this? I didn't even think about this. But this is what goes on behind the scenes. Just FYI, be mad at me if you want. Get a tattoo if you want. Uh, but I'm going to keep my body clean. If you have one, again, no condemnation. Just don't go get any more. God wants us to be different from the world around us. If you are embracing the world, you are becoming God's enemy. James 5, excuse me, 4.4. 4. Father, I thank you for this lesson on Christian tattoos, question mark. Help us, Lord, to stay clean and holy. Help those who listen and maybe have a tattoo, not to be beat up or condemned. Maybe, maybe they just did it ignorantly. Maybe they were falsely told a truth or a false truth, a lied to by a preacher or a lukewarm Christian. Father, may we realize you want us clean and holy. We've all got scars. Some are visible, some are invisible, and you want to heal us of all of them. May this teaching set us free and establish your word in Jesus' name. Amen.